the passage. I, I mean it, so. Yeah, all right. I think we're ready to go. Well, every person in the room who's wearing glasses has a story to tell you. There's a story that they have about how they got glasses, and I have a story as well. When I was in ninth grade, so just a little bit older than you, I was doing a lot more schoolwork. You might not think that's possible, but in high school, it's a little bit harder than junior high, a little bit more work. So I was doing a lot of schoolwork, and what happened was I was ending up using the computer for school more than I ever had. So I was like right up against the screen, and I was reading more and doing all this schoolwork in the first semester of my time in high school. And what happened was my eyes got worse and worse, so bad that when I, I, this is actually how I noticed that I was going blind, slowly but surely, I was playing golf, and I couldn't see my ball anymore. And that wasn't because I was hitting it really far, and it was just like exploding out into the atmosphere. It was because I couldn't see anything anymore. And at, over the course of months, my parents and my family was like, dude, you're blind, dude. I'm like, no, I'm not, and I denied it. I was like, no, I, I'm fine, I'm fine. I don't want glasses. Right? And many of you don't have glasses. Most of you don't have glasses, but some of us. I see two or three, a few of us. We, we have our glasses story. It's cool. Well, those of us who have glasses, right, we're superior to you. Okay, just going to tell you that. Um, I didn't think so at the time. I thought that those who uh, didn't have glasses were superior to those who do have glasses. So I avoided it for a long time. But after a number of months, finally, in January of my freshman year of high school, I finally got glasses. And I will never forget what it was like. It was so different and so amazing. I'll never forget when I walked outside, we, I, uh, my optometrist is in San Clemente on like that nice uh, Del Mar street right uh, down there in downtown San Clemente. I will never forget what it was like to get outside of the optometrist's office wearing my new glasses and looking down the street. It was crazy. I had never seen it before. You know what I saw that I never saw before? Trees. I saw trees. You might say, wait a minute. What are you talking about? No, I saw trees. And I thought I had seen trees before, but I had never really seen trees. When I looked at trees, it was kind of like one of those uh, impressionist paintings, you know? It's just kind of a blob uh, of green and shades and kind of, you know, like glossed over. But when I saw trees with my glasses for the first time, I finally saw the leaves. I saw the wind going through the trees. It was it's getting emotional, guys. I'm starting to cry. I'm just kidding. Um, but it was crazy. I had no idea what I was missing out on. I thought, yeah, I'd rather not wear glasses. I'd rather be able to kind of live my life with no glasses and not see stuff. But I had no idea what I was missing out on. Those trees, and not just seeing trees, obviously. I'm not a weirdo. Uh, that's not the only thing I was excited to see. But seeing those trees really changed my perspective on the lack of sight that I had. You know, you might say, well, that's good for you. I hope I never have glasses. That's what my brother says. He still doesn't have glasses. One day God will punish him and give him glasses. Um, and you might be a person who doesn't need glasses. But that doesn't mean that there's something you're not missing out on. There's something that people see at some point in their life that they've never seen before. And what we're going to see today in John chapter 9 is there's a guy who literally has never seen before. Not only has he never seen trees, he's never seen his parents. He's never seen color. He's never seen sports played in front of him. He's never seen anything. And Jesus walks by him and he heals him and gives him sight. But then what this all is representing and pointing to is later on in this passage, the blind man who was formerly blind and now he can see, he doesn't just get healed in his eyeballs. He gets healed in his spirit. 
his spiritual eyes are opened at the end of this passage. And really, what this passage is not about is you trying to uh, get rid of glasses if you're wearing glasses, or if you've got an eyesight problem to get that fixed. That's not what this passage is about. What this passage is about is getting you to see that you might be blind to something. Everyone is born blind, just like we talked about last week. Everyone is born enslaved to sin. This week, what Jesus is going to say is everyone is born blind. And they need Jesus to open their eyes. So that's what we want to see in John chapter 9. So grab your Bibles. Let's turn to John chapter 9. Let's open this passage up and see how Jesus teaches this lesson. That we need to see. There's something that we're blind to. That Jesus wants to show us. There's something that every person is born blind to some certain facts. Not only about Jesus, but about themselves as well. If you remember, John chapter 8 is that famous passage. John 8, 12, the song you sang in Sunday school. John 8, 12, about how Jesus is the light of the world. Right? He's this light that shines in the darkness. John chapter 1 says, and the darkness doesn't overcome it. John chapter 3 says that he's light in a dark place, but the problem is sinners who don't like the light shining on their life hide in the dark. They'd rather sin. They'd rather do their own thing. So this sermon where Jesus is the light of the world. It is displayed and represented by what happens after he preaches. The people who said, we want to embrace you. Once Jesus started to explain more about himself, guess what they do? They go hide in the darkness again. They say, nope, we don't want to hear this anymore. Well, in John chapter 9, we find a guy who was born in the darkness, complete darkness, and he never was able to see. Check out John chapter 9. It says, as he passed by, which by the way, he's just been run out of the temple. People were picking up stones to throw at his head because they wanted to kill Jesus. He comes out of the temple, and here's what happens. As he passes by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. I want you to imagine what that must be like. I know that's hard for you to imagine. What does it mean to be blind? Um, but if you today went blind, or maybe you had a bad apple or something, um, whatever makes people blind these days. I heard paints makes people blind. Um, well, yeah, a lot of people think, a lot, a lot of things make people blind. But if you went blind today, you'd remember a lot of things, wouldn't you? You'd remember your parents. You'd remember what you looked like, at least a little bit. You'd have all these memories. You'd know what your house looked like. If you went, if you became blind today, you could probably go back to your house and still figure out your way around. Now imagine you've never seen anything. That's this guy's life. Never seen light, never seen color, doesn't know what any of that is. It says, his disciples asked Jesus as they passed by this guy who was sitting on the ground, begging for money. The disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned that this man, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Why, why is this guy blind? Why, why is he sick with this illness? Is it his fault or is it his parents' fault? You might say that's a really dumb question that the disciples asked. And although it might not have been the smartest question, it wasn't a completely dumb question. Because you remember in John chapter 5, when they were in Jerusalem, after proclaiming something about himself, Jesus walks by the temple, and who does he see? He sees a guy by the pool of Siloam, and, and his legs don't work. And Jesus has this conversation, and he heals this guy, and at the very end, Jesus turns to them, this guy and says, hey, don't sin anymore so that nothing worse than this might happen to you. So clearly, that guy had a leg problem, and God struck him with this, this uh, paral paralyzing sickness for his legs because of some, some sin in his, his life, okay? So when the disciples ask Jesus, who sinned that this person was blind? It wasn't a dumb question because there was a guy who sinned earlier and was hurt because of that sin. But Jesus says, not this guy. He says, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or that his parents sinned. 
but that the works of God might be displayed in him. There was this weird belief back then that you could sin before you were born, like when you were in the womb, that you could commit this sin, some kind of sin that would make you disabled. So they'd look at the people who were disabled and they'd say, well, they must have done some certain sin before they were born, right? The Bible does not teach that. That was this custom that came up. And Jesus actually fights against this here, but he also says it wasn't his parents' fault either. This wasn't some disability that came over their kid because they were in some type of sin. We even see in the Old Testament, there's certain sins, like David, when he sinned against God, what happened to his baby? Right? Baby died, right? So sometimes God does strike people because of someone else's sin. But what Jesus says clearly, this guy's situation, it's not their fault. It's not their sin. Why? This guy's born blind so that God might display his power in him. Something's going to happen to him. Verse four, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. That night is referring to when Jesus is going to die. When Jesus dies, right, the time of work that they have is going to be over. It says, but we're going to work right now. Verse five, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now he says this in front of this guy. Maybe this blind person could hear him, right? At some point, he's going to have some conversation with him. And in verse 6, it says what Jesus told this guy to do. Verse 6 says, Having said these things to the disciples, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. At this point, you're, you're, you're questioning Jesus. If you were one of his disciples, you'd be like, okay, Jesus. You know, last time you healed the guy, you just said, get up and, and walk. Uh, this time you're spitting on the ground. This is getting kind of interesting. He spits on the ground, maybe once, maybe twice, maybe three times. I don't know how many times he spit on the ground, but he makes this mud. Imagine a, a dirt, you know, a dirt road. And you spit on the ground. And what happens, right? When you spit on the ground, like your little thing of spit hits the ground. And then the, the dirt kind of comes, whoo, and comes up and around it. And it's kind of like mud. Imagine this, right? And then he spits maybe once, twice. He's got all this like mud on the ground. He takes this mud and it says he anoints the man's eyes. When you hear the word anoint, you think of like essential oils or something. Like, ooh, like just a little drop. No, here's what it meant to anoint, okay? It meant to rub in. So it's like sunscreen. What that, they'd use the word anoint to talk about sunscreen. You anointed someone with sunscreen. What do you do? You put it and you rub it in, right? What Jesus does to this guy, you might not even think twice when you read this passage, but imagine this. Jesus makes mud and starts putting it in his eye, okay? If your eyes worked and Jesus came up to you and did this to your eyes, how would you, how would you feel about that? You'd be like, no, this is not going to, my eyes, you're going to break my eyes by doing this, right? This thing that Jesus does, and I don't think there's any weird symbolic significance with the saliva or anything like that. I just think John's telling us what he did is he shoved a bunch of dirt in his eye, which is counterproductive, right? That doesn't, you wouldn't do that if you want to make someone be able to see again. You do that to like destroy their ability to see. I think that's more like what Elijah did when he put water on the, the altars, right? The 12, altar, or the 12 stones of the altar um, where God called fire down. He put a ton of water on it just to show that his power goes above and beyond and exceeds that. So this guy currently has dirt in his eye. And I don't know what you think of when you think of a blind person, but blind people actually do have eyeballs, okay? They just don't work. They're usually grayed over or something like that. If you ever see someone, that's why sometimes today they wear eye patches or they wear glasses so you can't see their eyes because it's kind of a weird, really an ugly thing. Um, their eyes don't work. So he's got mud in his eyes. This dude has got mud in his eyes. What does Jesus tell him to do next? He says, now go 
and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed. This is kind of interesting. He sends him to a place called sent. John's trying to throw a dad joke in there. Okay, John throws a bunch of dad jokes in. By the way, the blind man, he's, got, he's full of dad jokes. So we're going to see Sassy. We called him Jerry last night. I just want to call him Jerry. Um, that just sounds like a fun name for this guy. I don't know. Jerry. Um, I don't know why we called him Jerry last night, but we're going to call him Jerry today. Um, Jerry's pretty sassy. So he's got mud in his eyes. Jerry's got mud in his eyes. He goes down to the pool and he washes. Okay. John includes the detail of the, the, the name of the place because it's funny. Jesus sent him to a place called Sent. Okay? And he goes and he washes his eyes. He's got mud in his eyes. Okay? I know they don't work, but he's still got mud in his eyes. It's probably uncomfortable. He goes, takes the water, washes his eyes out. Now what happens after he washes his eyes out of all this dirt? What happens? Now for the first time in his life, when he takes his head out of the water, after he's been scrubbing his eyes, he, he opens them again, just like he's opened them his whole life and never been able to see. This time when he opens his eyes, guess what he can see? Everything. Perfectly. For the first time ever, colors, trees, light, everything, all at once for the first time. It's better than I felt when I put my glasses on for sure, but it was kind of like that. It's the only thing I can compare it to. He went back seeing. This miracle is not just about vision. Okay? It's not just about being able to see. But before we get any further, I want you to look at this passage and say, wow, Jesus did something pretty amazing here. Okay, and this is not a myth. This is not some moral lesson. This is not a parable. Okay? This is historical reporting from John. This actually happened. Okay? And if we're going to get anywhere in this text, we need to write this down for point number one. You need to believe that Jesus really healed the blind man. Believe Jesus really healed the blind man. This might sound confusing because you might say, well, wait a minute. Uh, of course I believe that. I already know that. He healed. I'm reading it here. Here's the problem. If you lived there, and you lived at this time and this day. And someone said, I was blind and now I see. I wonder if you'd believe it. I know I would not believe it. I wouldn't believe it unless they connected this to Jesus. And that's what he ends up doing. He connects it to Jesus. And even so, some people say, I don't believe it. It's hard for people to believe something like this. Because, you know, if someone said to you, hey, I was blind and now I could see. You say, prove it, right? Come on, prove it. Your eyes work just fine. Prove it. Right? Or maybe you'd say, you're lying to me. You're just a, a trickster. Maybe if, you, if it was identified with some person, maybe with Jesus, you'd say, well, Jesus, he just must be a magician, a con artist, someone who's just kind of putting on a show. He didn't really, he must have had a twin. Maybe that one of the twins was blind, the other twin they could see, and they swapped him out, and they you know, had one identity, and they traded personalities, and it, clearly this is a joke. Clearly, this did not happen. Here's the problem. If this did not happen right here, if this did not happen the way John said it happened, Jesus, first of all, he is a con artist, he's just a magician, and he was a liar if this did not happen. Okay? The reason it's so important for you to see that this happened is you cannot take the spiritual truth that we're going to see through this passage unless you believe what Jesus actually did. If you don't think that Jesus is able to give a blind person sight, if you don't believe that he can do that, you will not believe that he's able to give blind, spiritually, people who are spiritually blind, you will not believe that he can give them sight either. This is so important because what Jesus is doing is illustrating the teaching he's already given. He's showing this. So we have to trust this and believe this because if this is true, if Jesus really did heal a blind person, as it says here, 
then Jesus has all the power in the universe. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is telling the truth. Jesus is from God. Jesus is the I am that he said in John chapter 8. He is the good shepherd that he's going to tell us in John chapter 10. And also he is the resurrection and the life that he's going to say in John 11. Okay? This is so important. You might say this is so basic. Of course, I, I believe that he did it. The problem is most people in our world don't believe that this actually happened. If you read, hey, what did you learn at church this weekend? Someone asks you. you. Say, oh, we learned about how Jesus healed the blind man. You know what they'd probably say? That's just a story though, right? It's like a lesson, a teaching. That didn't really happen, did it? I hope you say, no, 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 this really happened. And, and it's so important that it really happened because if this did not happen, Jesus would be a liar. Jesus would be a con artist, a magician. This did happen because John recorded it and we got eyewitnesses. We got a bunch of people that frankly did not believe it. And that's what's gonna happen in the story. Check out what happens here in chapter eight or verse eight. This is John 9, eight. It says, the neighbors... And those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, this, he says, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Is this really the guy? If you saw somebody who was blind and you knew them for maybe five years, 10 years, maybe 12 years, we don't know how old this guy is, but we know he's not a kid. We're going to find out later on in the passage that he's a full-grown adult. You know what blind people can't do back in the day? They can't work. They can't provide for themselves. They're beggars. We have a lot of beggars in our world today, right? People who ask for money. The problem is most of them can work. Most of them could work if they wanted to, but they don't work. The difference was for a guy like this, he could not work. There's nothing he could do. And there were no social programs to really help him out. His family could help him out a little bit. We know that he still has a relationship with his family. His parents are alive. So his parents are probably helping out a little bit, but they might not be able to support him all the way. So, People see this guy who was a blind beggar and they say, is this really the same guy? You know, the easiest explanation for Jesus healing a blind man, the easiest naturalistic explanation is that there's really two guys. One was blind and they hid them somewhere. And there's another guy who's been able to see and Jesus just kind of replaced him with this new guy. That's the trick. That'd be the easiest way to explain it. So people say, is this really the guy? Verse nine, some said it's, it's him. This is he. Others said, no, it's just a guy who looks like him. This is just a trick. But he kept saying, I am the man. I am who I was before. I don't know how well these people knew the blind beggar. Maybe he was with some of them doing like a little test. Like, oh, no, I know. Because you, uh, you're, my name's Jerry. Your name is um, Gerald, right? We got the same name. Uh, and like, we, I, I, we talked last week. You came by. You gave me a shekel last week. Like, hmm, maybe you are the guy. Well, that, that's an easy one. Uh, what's my birthday? Right, you know, imagine if you're trying to figure out if someone was really somebody. Right, that'd just be a weird thing. That's what they're doing, trying to figure out if it's really him. Verse 10, they said, okay, if you're really the guy, how were your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus. So he knows who this guy is. The man called Jesus. He's never seen him, but he's heard him. The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes. He scrubbed mud in my eyeballs. And he said, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, well, where is he? And the guy said, I don't know. <laughs> so kind of uh, another one of John's little jokes. So I never saw him. So I don't know where he went, right? Because he was blind before. He never saw him. He doesn't know where he went. Those neighbors kind of asked some pretty general questions. Maybe the questions you would ask. Well, the neighbors don't hate Jesus. We don't think. 
But there are people who do hate Jesus. Look in verse 13. We've got some people who don't like Jesus very much. It says, So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly been, the man who was formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made mud and opened his eyes. Now that should cause some red flags to go off in your mind. The Pharisees don't like that. When Jesus does those healings on the Sabbath. Do you remember uh, in John chapter 5 when he healed the lame man? Remember what day it was? It was Saturday. It was the Sabbath. It was the day you weren't supposed to work. And Jesus reminded them, look, you think healing is work? You think this is what God doesn't want me to do? I'm doing the work that God has sent me to do. Even on the Sabbath. I'm not breaking God's rules here. I'm doing what God wants me to do. It was the Sabbath day. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to him, said to them, he's going to tell the same story again. He put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. That's how it went. I love that progression. Right? Jesus did something to him. The man responded and washed and then God delivered on his promise. Very similar to what we see in our lives. Verse 16. But some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. They clearly have a theological problem with Jesus. They say he can't be from God because he's breaking God's rules. But others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. If you think about it in the Old Testament, who are the miracle workers in the Old Testament? Think through some of them, right? Moses was one of them, right? Was he a sinner, right? Well, clearly he did sin, but he, his life wasn't characterized by sin. That's what he's saying here. Clearly this guy is not just like he sinned once. He must be a, a total sinner, a liar, a con artist, a magician. Someone who's just trying to trick people. You also think of maybe Elijah and Elisha. They did a lot of miracles. Guess what they did? They were righteous people. They were righteous and all that culture was unrighteous. And they stood up as the only righteous people. The Pharisees are saying, Jesus, although he might be doing miracles, he's a sinner. But then some of them were like, hold on, hold on. Let's think about all the people who did miracles in the Old Testament. Moses, Elijah, Elisha, they're all righteous people. God doesn't listen to unrighteous people, right? If a con artist wants God to do some miracle, God's not going to listen to some magician or some con artist. He's not going to listen to them. So there's a division among them. Verse 17. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? Maybe that's kind of in quotes, since he opened your eyes. Maybe he really opened your eyes. And he said, he's a prophet. The blind man, all he can give to Jesus is the highest title that he could give him, which is prophet. So don't fault him for this. Don't be like, oh man, blind man, you missed it. He's not just a prophet. He's the son of God, right? Well, we'll get to that later. He'll understand that later. He understands a little bit now. He gives him the highest title he can give him, a prophet. How many prophets were alive at that point? Zero, right? Just Jesus. There was one other, but he died earlier. John the Baptist, right? So clearly a prophet was a high title. So he says he must've been a prophet. I think the Pharisees like that this blind man, formerly blind man called Jesus a prophet. They don't like that very much. So guess what they do? They did not believe, verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been born blind and received sight until they called the parents of this man who had received his sight. So you might say, if I didn't believe you, imagine I've got a situation where I think you're lying to me and I call your parents to say, is, are they telling the truth? Hopefully by the end of that meeting, I'd know a couple of things, whether or not you're telling the truth, right? But here's the other thing we learn about this. Um, when he calls his parents, it's kind of insulting. It's not so much like if I called you and I didn't believe you, so I asked your parents. It'd be like if you didn't believe me and asked my parents, right? I'm an adult, right? I can, I can speak for myself. 
Right? It's not even just like a kid being confronted. It's like, oh, well, I'm going to talk to your parents. Like, no, this is an adult. This is like someone going up to one of your leaders and saying, I don't believe you. I'm going to talk to your parents. Be like, okay, talk to my parents. Fine, right? That's fine. So that's what happens. They talk to his parents because here's what they want to know. Is this really the same guy? If I can find their parents and confront this person with the alleged parents of the blind man, the parents will know if this is really the same guy because that's the easiest way to pull off this trick. If this is fake, if this is a trick, Jesus could have just had two guys and replaced them. So the parents come along and say, is this really your son who was born blind? Then how does he see now? Verse 20, his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. So that's fact number one. We know that this is our son right here and we know he's born blind. But here's what's obvious. He can see now. But how to answer that question? We don't know. Verse 21, but how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. We don't know the person who did that. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. This dude might have been 30 years old. <laughs> it was just weird. He's got a beard on his face. And they're asking his mommy and daddy uh, what happened. It's kind of weird. So he says, look, just ask him. Here's the problem. Verse 22 says the real insight. It says his parents were afraid to say what they knew. They knew that Jesus opened his eyes. Because think about it. This guy already told the neighbors. I'm sure he told the parents. They already knew who opened his eyes. But his parents were afraid to say such things because they fear the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess that Jesus is the Christ, he was going to be put out of the synagogue. That'd be like getting kicked out of the church. Never allowed back in. You're out forever if you believe that Jesus is the Christ. So they don't want to lose all their friends. They don't want to lose their, their group of friends or their family or their small group. They want to keep all their relationships. So in order to do that, they just don't tell the truth about Jesus. Therefore, his parents said, ask him. He's of age. Now verse 24, it's where, it's where Jerry really comes out of his shell. Okay, Jerry gets a little sassy up in here, so just beware. Put on your seatbelts because uh, he gets a little insane. It's been a pretty calm story so far, a lot of repetition. If you're like, why is this guy repeating himself all the time? It's because people he keep asking him the same questions. Finally, Jerry puts his foot down, and Jerry says, stop asking me the same stupid questions. I've already answered your questions like five times. Uh, he doesn't quite say that, but he's close. Verse uh, 24, check it out. It says, so for the second time, they called the man who'd been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man's a sinner. You see the question mark there? Uh, no, there's not a question mark. He's just, the Pharisees are just angry at this dude. Like you're clearly just trying to trick us all. You're just trying to trick us. Clearly. Give glory to God. That's a phrase from Joshua chapter 7, verse 19, where a guy named Achan sinned against God. He sinned against God and Joshua came up to him and said, give glory to God admit what you did was wrong. That's what he's trying to, I think he's alluding to the Old Testament there. Admit that what you're doing is wrong. Recognize that God is seeing you. He knows that you're a liar. We know this man's a liar. He's a sinner. Verse 25. The man answered, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. Clearly he, he had no idea. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. I don't know much about Jesus. I don't know where he's from. I don't know what he claims. But here's one thing I do know about Jesus. I was blind and now I see. That was the powerful thing he said. Verse 26, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And now at this point, you're like, can these people stop asking the same question, right? If you feel bored at that question, it's because he feels bored about this question. Same question over and over again. So he answered them, Sassy Jerry answers in verse 27. He answered them, I have told you already and you won't listen to me. I told you already. It's like, you know, when your siblings ask you about something, and you told them like twice, 
It's like, hey, did you take my thing? Hey, do you have my shoes? Hey, are you, were you wearing my shirt yesterday? Right? This is a girl thing, I know. Um, guys don't share shirts. Um, my wife says that she grew up with two sisters. They'd always like take each other's shoes and stuff, and they'd be wearing, and like, oh, I saw you, you're wearing my shoes on Instagram. Cool, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. Did, did you ask me? Right? It's like this, this question of like, oh, oh, I already told you. I already told you. I already told you. And that's what he says. I already told you guys, but you don't want to listen. He says, why do you want to hear it again? Because I could, I could tell it to you again. Do you want to become his disciples? Right? This is sarcastic. This is not being serious. Jerry's, Jerry's pretty sassy at this point. He's fed up with the Pharisees. He's like, oh, you want me to tell you the story about how Jesus healed me again? Dude, <laughs> do you want to become his disciples? Is, is that why you want to know? You want me to evangelize you real quick? <laughs> Pharisees didn't like that, right? Ooh, they don't like sassy Jerry. They like it when Jerry's all quiet. And they reviled him, verse 28, saying, you are his disciple, not us. We're disciples of Moses. They puffed their chest out. We're disciples of Moses, right? Moses, the guy who wrote the Old Testament. We know him. We know God spoke to him. We know where he comes from. But this man, we don't know where he comes from. Now verse 30 is where sassy, sassy man gets really into it. This is the peak sassiness. Verse 30, the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. This is amazing. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. This is amazing. You don't know where this guy comes from, yet he, I was blind my whole life and I can see now and you don't know where this dude comes from? Are you stupid? Like, of course he comes from God. I lived my whole life, I was blind. He told me he scrubbed mud in my eyes and I went to a pool and now I can see for the first time. And you don't know where this guy comes from? Are you ridiculous? I told you it like five or six times. Literally, I think I have it written down. I think this question is asked six times. How, how, how did, it, how was he healed? How was he healed? How was he healed? He said, just stop asking the question, okay? I already told you, Jesus healed me. You might say, well, why, why do they keep asking the question? Because they don't believe. They don't want to believe that this is Jesus. Now, after he says, he opened my eyes, the blind man goes on. He says, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. Maybe it's heard before that people who've got eye problems can go see a doctor and maybe they can take some medicine and maybe they can see a little bit better. That's been heard before. That maybe they can find some herb or some thing or some treatment that maybe makes the eyesight better or some therapy where they can, you know, relax their eyes and, and go. There's weird therapies that can help your eyes, right? You know, it's never been heard ever in the history of the world except for this one time that a guy was born blind, never being able to see. And in an instant, in a moment, he could see perfectly, 20-20 vision, all at once. Because that's never been heard before. Who's ever claimed that? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. What's the implication? He did this because he is from God. Clearly, he's a prophet. And the Pharisees, what do they say? They say, you were born in utter sin. The fact that you were blind, you know what that showed? You know what the Pharisees believed? That you must have been some illegitimate kid. That your parents are terrible people. Your family's a disgusting family. That's why you were born blind. Get out of here. That's what the Pharisees say to him. And you teach us, and they cast him out. What do they do? They toss him out of the, the synagogue. He's out of the church forever. Cut off. Never again. Can't come back. Loses his friends. Loses everything because he stands up and says, he, Jerry gets sassy, and he says, clearly, Jesus is from God. He lost everything because of that. But then if you think about it, what did he really have before, right? He was blind. What did he really lose? It's a lot of buildup for point number two, but I want you to realize the reasons why people don't believe. Pinpoint 
the real reasons for disbelief in Jesus. That's point number two. Pinpoint the real reasons for disbelief in Jesus. Because these Pharisees had reasons they didn't believe in Jesus. But you've got to figure out what those are. And I think the main obvious one for the Pharisees is they were prideful. They did not want to believe that this uneducated Galilean fisherman could really be a prophet from God. Because they were the prophets from God, right? They had the mouthpiece. They were so used to everyone coming to them for the advice and coming to them for the help. And now Jesus comes along and says, nope, you guys have no authority. I have the authority. I'm from God. That's why they didn't come to Jesus. But now let's bring this into your world. Why do people not come to Jesus in your world? When they hear the good news that Jesus is able to save them, why do so many people say, nope, I don't, I don't want to listen to that? I think one of the reasons was something we talked about last time is that people don't want to admit that they have a sin problem, right? They want to take their sin and they want to enjoy their sin and live in their sin. And, I, and you talk to people and say, why don't you become a Christian? Right? And I could ask you that too, because a lot of you aren't Christians either, and you know it. Why aren't you a Christian? And the answer that a lot of you would give, at least some of you, would be because I like my sin. I would rather have sin and do sin and not feel bad about it than turn to Jesus and give up that sin. I'd rather do that. Well, what you're displaying is something that we see in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 21. I want you to write that passage down. We're going to talk about it for a minute here. Romans 1 says that God's wrath has been revealed from heaven, which means something's clear to everybody, that there is a real judge and that there's going to be justice one day and that God's going to do that. It's been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Okay, That means people have sin. And then they hear the truth. And when they hear the truth and they have sin, those two don't mix, so they choose one or the other. They say, I'm either going to give up the sin and, and, and trust the truth, or I'm going to get rid of the truth and, and enjoy my sin. So here's what it says. It's like, uh, what day is trash day for you guys? Monday. Tuesday? Friday? Cool. Mine is Thursday. Cool. Good. That's bad. See, when I was growing up, it was uh, Tuesday morning. So we took it out on Monday night. Um, you ever go by the trash can? And it's pretty full. And it's full. And you're like, but I don't want to take out the trash right now. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take my plate. What do you always do? Take the plate, turn it upside down, and you shut it down, right? We've all been there. I do that all the time. Still, sometimes do that. What you're doing is you're suppressing the trash. You're pushing it down, okay? What this says is when people sin and people like their sin, what they do is they take the truth of the gospel that's there in their hearts that they've heard, and they're pushing it down. Say, nope, I don't want to respond. I don't want to respond. Pushing it down because they want to make room for their sin. So they keep pushing it down and down and down. You know what happens when people keep pushing that truth down? Romans 1 says God lets them push it down. It's like, it's like your sin and the truth are fighting this battle right here, right? And like your, your trash can's fighting a battle against you when you push the trash down, right? It's like they're fighting this battle. And at some point, here's what God says in Romans 1. He gives people over to it. If you keep pushing the truth down, if you keep telling Jesus, nope, I want to live for myself, you know what ends up happening? Jesus says, fine, do it. And you'll never feel conviction of your sin again. And he'll never convict you. And he'll let you live your life in sin if you keep pushing it down. 
You know, some people, he, he gives them the amazing chance of turning to him. But every time you're convicted about your sin and you know the truth and you know that there's sin in your life, and you know, I got, okay, I got to repent of my sin and trust in Jesus as my savior. You keep pushing that down. Guess what happens? It says what happens. Romans 1, 19. This for what can be known about God is plain to them. They know about God because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. They've seen it. They've known it. At least they've known it in the things that have been made, all that's in the world. People have always looked. That's why, you know, every culture has a God. Every culture is religious. It's not that their religions are right. It's just that it reflects the fact that when people look at the world, they know that people in this natural world is not all that there is. There's something more. There's something more because look at us. I mean, Look at our bodies. Look at, look at our, the way our fingernails work and our eyes work. It's amazing. I mean, this is not an accident. Clearly, I mean, how evolution works is stuff gets worse and worse and worse over time, right? How come people went from, things went from slime to, to humans, right? That, that's progress, not regress, right? The world always gets worse and worse and worse, yet here we are, right? Clearly, God made us. Someone made us. Something made us. That's what people have always thought, at least until now, but just for what's been clearly known about God is out there. But people are without excuse. When they say, I don't believe in God, when people say, I don't believe in Jesus, and maybe when you say, I'm not a Christian yet, it says they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor God in their hearts or give thanks to him. They didn't respond rightly to God, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. There might've been a little bit of light, they might have understood something about God, but because they pressed it down with their sin, God said, okay, fine. Your heart can be dark then. If that's what you want, I'll let you do that. That's why if you keep rejecting the gospel and you keep saying, I don't want to become a Christian, you know what God at some point does? He says, okay, fine. Don't be a Christian then. Don't serve me. Fine. Don't follow me. Don't have eternal life. Fine. That's what happens for these Pharisees. They push it down and push it down, and they don't give the real reason. Also, Satan has blinded their minds. That's another thing that we see in John 8, right? Where it says, Jesus says, you are following your father, the devil. You're acting like him. Second Corinthians 4.4 says, Satan has blinded people's minds. And it's not until, the next verse says, until Jesus opens their eyes and shines like a light in their life, in their heart. They finally understand the glorious or light of the gospel of Jesus. You know, these people, they fight against the blind man. Jerry has to get sassy with them um, for them to see anything. And the problem is they don't even see it. They're so blind, they don't even understand why they're rejecting. But they have all these real reasons, right? What's the reason for you, maybe, that you don't want to become a Christian? Certain sins, control, or an illusion of control. You don't really even have it. Why is it? Because for them, it was different things. You know, we do this all the time, by the way. We say no to things, and we don't give the real reasons. There was a time I said no to something, and I did not give the real reasons for it. It was uh, one of the summer times where the interns were here, right? The interns were here, and I got invited to a dinner, and I did not want to go to this dinner. So I was like, you know what? I'm good. I just, I'm probably busy. Yeah, I just, I can't make it tonight. I'm not, I just don't want to go. And they're like, okay, fine, whatever. And then I find out Pastor Lucas set up this dinner. 
And Pastor Lucas came to me and said, so, so what, hey, what's going on? Why can't you go to this dinner? Why can't, you don't want to go to this dinner? Well, are, are you busy? You got something going on? I'm like, no, I just don't want to go. And he's like, so why don't you want to go? And I'm like, well, because you guys are going to Korean barbecue. I'm afraid of that, right? You guys like Korean barbecue? Right? I, so I was afraid of Korean barbecue. I will admit my fear, right? Um, I don't like Asian food. I know, I know, I know. And Korean barbecue, you're like, Korean barbecue is not like even Asian food. You're right. I didn't know that. So I was just kept brushing off, like, no, I don't want to go to this party. I don't want to go. I don't want to go to this dinner. And he's finally like, hey, guess what? You're going. I'm like, okay, fine, fine. It was like when one of the years, the interns were brand new. It was like the first week. And I was being a, what my wife would call a stinker um, and not wanting to go. I was a stinker. And <laughs> I didn't give the real reason. I'm actually glad I went because it's pretty good. I haven't been since, but you know, whatever. Uh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it might be. I didn't give the real reason though. You know, if Jesus were here today and asked you, why are you not a Christian? I wonder if you would give him the real reason. I wonder if you give him the real reason or you just say, no, I don't want to go. Just like I did with Korean barbecue. And I regret it. It was good. I'm glad I went. But it took some convincing, didn't it? I would not have gone if those excuses didn't get passed, which is why for you, I want you to get past those excuses. What are the reasons why you're not coming to Christ? Let's get past those excuses and know that coming to Christ is better than anything else because this blind man at this point, Sassy Jerry, you might think he's a good guy. He seems like a cool guy, but uh, he is not a Christian yet. All that's happened to him is he's been healed, which is a great thing, but that doesn't mean he's following Jesus. Well, let's check out verse 35. Back in our passage, John 9, 35. It says, Jesus heard that they cast this man out. They found out that Jesus, or they found out that this blind man got kicked out of the synagogue, kicked out forever. And Jesus found him and said to him, do you believe in the son of man? Do you trust in the Messiah, the Christ, the son of God, the son of man? Do you, do you trust in him? And the guy said, well, who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? I probably would, but I don't know who, who I'm even believing in. Because at that point, he probably recognizes Jesus' voice at this point. I hope he recognizes who Jesus was. Obviously, he'd never seen him before, but he had heard him before. So Jesus has this conversation. He says, do you believe in him? He says, I would if I knew who he was. And Jesus, verse 37, said to him, you have seen him. He's probably only seen like 12 people in his life so far. Maybe a hundred. I don't know. He's not seen that many people at his life yet because he's literally just got to see like the day before whatever this happened. He says, you've seen him. And it is he who's speaking to you. That's me. I'm the son of man. And he said to him, this is what the blind man, former blind man says to Jesus, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. That is the right response. When you understand something about your sin problem and understand that Jesus is the son of man, that he's the son of God. He's the one that can take care of it for you. That you say, I believe in him. And he says he worshiped him. He recognized the problem. His eyes were opened. You see that? The eyes of his heart were opened. Jesus revealed truth to him. I'm the son of man. It's he, I'm the one who's talking to you. I am the son of man. That's what Jesus says. It's revealed to him. And when that light is shined in his heart, what does he do? Does he do what the other guy said? The guy who had the bad legs that didn't work? who said, okay, cool, cool, cool. All right, peace out. 
right? Or does he say, no, I believe in you, and he worshiped him. Totally different response. I think John chapter 5 and John chapter 9 are parallel passages showing the contrast between two people who are healed and their different responses. One of them responded by running away. The other responded by saying, yes, I believe in you. Jesus explains more, verse 39. For judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. That's why I came in this world, that the people who think that they see all the truth about God, people who think they're, that they're good, people who think they don't need me, that those people will become blind. The people who are pushing down the truth of the gospel in their hearts, those people, they'll, they'll become blind. But the people who are blind, who recognize they need a guide, who recognize they need the light to follow, who recognize that they need Jesus, it says those are the people that I'm gonna give them sight and they're gonna see perfectly. He says that to this blind, formerly blind man. And that's a really good story. It's a nice end to the story, but the story does not end there. Verse 40, some other people were listening to this conversation Jesus had. Some of the Pharisees were near him and they heard him say these things. And they said to him, are we also blind? Are we blind? Is that what you've been getting at this whole time? Because this guy was blind. Now he sees, are you saying that we are blind? Really? What's the answer to that? You'd think Jesus would say, yeah, you are blind. It's funny, Jesus does not say that in that particular way. He says something that's like that. But look what he says down in your Bibles. It says, verse 41, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. If you were blind, really, truly blind, not knowing the truth about God at all, not knowing about Jesus at all, if you were really blind, you'd have no guilt because you'd just be living your life doing your sin, not knowing good from bad, you'd have no guilt. But here's the problem. You have enough light. I'm here and I am the light of the world and I've opened your eyes a little bit. I've given you a little bit of light. It says you see enough to know your problem. But now that you say, we see, we've got our problem, we're good. We don't need God. Or not that we don't need God. We don't need Jesus to get to God because they thought they had God. They say, now we see. It says because you say that and because you don't turn to me, your guilt remains. Your guilt remains. Imagine a picture of a, like, a net. You know those big nets full of fish that they catch in the ocean, like big, huge, like Finding Nemo size. You know, in Finding Nemo, wasn't there a thing with the net and they like got out of it and there was some statement about fish, whatever. Um, imagine one of those big nets, right, with a lot of fish in there, hanging over someone's head. Right, that'd be weird, smelly, gross. Right, but instead of uh, take all the fish out, you say, hey, we don't want to make this smell bad. You start throwing rocks and, and, and bricks in this big net, right? It's this big net, really heavy, thousands of pounds. The Bible says that that's like what guilt for sin is. And the way it's described is it's like you've got guilt that's on you or over your head. What these people say is they've got all this guilt for their sin, just like you and I have guilt for our sin. And it hangs over our head. And it's in this big net. And Jesus says, if you were really blind, you wouldn't even know you had this guilt. It'd just be there and you wouldn't even understand. And it's just this big pile of rocks that's about over the top of your head. You wouldn't even see it. That's how a lot of people are right now in our world. They're completely blind. They don't see their sin problem. They've got no perception of it, a lot of people in the world. But then there are others maybe like you that know that there's a sin guilt problem over your head but you still don't do anything about it. That's what the Pharisees were like. They had enough light to see that. The idea is you've got all this guilt that every time you sin, it piles up and up and up and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And until 
you turn to Jesus, you've got no freedom from that because it's hanging over your head. What happens when you turn to Jesus, Jesus takes all of that guilt and puts it on top of him and his pile, which was empty before. No sin guilt. Never did anything wrong. But he can take all your guilt, each and every one of you, all your sin, and they can go on his pile. And you know what happened to Jesus? You know what happens to Jesus in this Gospel of John? Jesus is crushed. Crushed for your sin. But he won't be crushed for your sin if you don't see your guilt. You stay underneath there and say, I'm good. I don't, need to, I don't need to become a Christian. Problem is at some point, just like it says in Romans 1, God's going to let that net drop. And you'll have to be crushed for your sin. It's a, hor- it's a horrible thing that people are crushed for their sin when they know the truth about Jesus. It's one thing if you didn't know, if you never heard, maybe I'd feel bad for you in a different way, but I, I just, it's hard when you know the truth about Jesus and don't respond. Point number three, I want you to write this down. Agree that you have a sin problem and that Jesus can fix it. Agree. That's the key. Agree. The Pharisees, they had a guilt problem, whether they agreed about it or not. The blind man had a guilt problem. Whether he agreed about it or not, he had a guilt problem. But he agreed. Real Christians, they agree that they need Jesus to save them. One more passage I want you to write down. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. Luke 18, Jesus tells a story. It says there's a story that Jesus told to some people who thought they did not need him. Like these Pharisees, they were blind to their sin. They didn't think they needed him. He told the parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They thought they were good people. And because they thought they were good people, they treated other people with contempt. Treated them badly. Here's the story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee. This Pharisee, imagine a a 65-year-old man, long beard, perfectly trimmed in the exact way that the Jews had it. Long robe, flowing robe. As he walked into the temple, people greeted him said, hey, rabbi, rabbi, rabbi. People wanted his advice. They wanted counsel from him. He was religious, important. Everybody thought he's, he's the Sunday school teacher. He's the one who taught them everything about the Torah. That guy, he walks into the temple. And then there's another guy who walked into the temple that day, the fair, uh, a tax collector. This tax collector, all tattooed up. Kind of a, a thug looking guy not dressed right, not wearing the right clothes, lived a horrible life, terrible words were spoken out of his mouth. Words the Pharisee would never say. Horrible life. He comes into, who's the righteous person here? The old, gentle grandpa or this thug? Who's who's the, the righteous person? Well, if we're looking at their life, the Pharisee is much more righteous than this guy who lived this terrible life, obviously. He's more righteous. Now look what Jesus says. Jesus said the Pharisee stand, was standing by himself when he prayed. And he prayed this to God. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I'm not an extortioner. I don't take people's money. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I never cheated on my wife. I'm not even like this tax collector. This guy you could see in the corner of the room maybe. I'm not like him though. I fast twice a week. I do all these good things. I give tithes of all that I get. Every birthday present I've ever gotten, I've given part of it to charity. I've given it to people who need help. I've been giving with my money. I'm so good. This is his prayer, right? But 
the tax collector, this other guy who was standing far off in the corner of the room would not even look up. His eyes were down. Like sometimes when people walk into church, they're too ashamed to even look up at people and talk to people. This guy's eyes were down completely. He wouldn't lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his chest. He was hitting himself in the chest while he was crying and weeping. What he said to God was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I recognize that I'm sinful. When those two guys leave the temple, who's a Christian and who's not? Who's saved from their sin and who's not? Be hard to tell, right? You think, I, I want that 65-year-old grandpa who taught a bunch of Sunday school lessons. I want him to be the Christian, not the guy who lived a terrible life. But here's what Jesus says. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Justified means declared to be completely, perfectly righteous. When he left the temple, he was righteous. Not because he lived a righteous life, but because Jesus made him righteous. This other guy trusted in himself. That's what the Pharisees did, and the blind person relied completely on Jesus. The Pharisees, not at all. And that's the difference between people in this room. You might claim to be a Christian, but some of you rely completely on yourself for that. You think, I'm a Christian because I've done good deeds. I'm a Christian because my parents. I'm a Christian because whatever. And then there are others of you in this room trust in Jesus completely with your whole heart. It says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's funny if I tell you, hey, you might be spiritually blind, you should open your eyes. That's like me telling a person who is blind, hey, hey, buddy, why don't you, hey, how many fingers am I holding up? One, two, three, four. You'd be like, that's just, it's weird, it's mean. Like, you can't even do that. See, and that's the thing. This man had Jesus, and he called out to Jesus, and Jesus opened his blind eyes. We also opened the, the eyes of his heart later on. That's what you need to do. You cannot call on me to open your blind heart. You can't talk to your parents and assume that they can open your blind heart. You need to ask God to do that. He's the only one that can do it. Jesus is the only one who can open blind eyes. You have to call on him and ask him to do it. That's what I want to pray about as we close and finish. I want to pray about that and think about that. I want you to pray about that too. I know you usually don't give this much lead up for a prayer, but as we pray, I just want you to think as we talk to God, am I blind? Am I blind? Or do I see my need for Jesus? And if you do, you got to thank him. Like that tax collector, be merciful to me, a sinner. Not like this Pharisee. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would show us the truth about ourselves and where our trust is. Sometimes it's hard for us to see that. Sometimes we make excuses for ourselves. We give reasons why we don't want to believe in you. But we know all, all those reasons are, are foolish in the end. We, it just doesn't work. I pray that you would show us whether or not we trust in you or if we've just been trusting in ourselves this whole time. If we have been trusting in ourselves, I ask that you would change these students' hearts, that you would open their eyes right now, supernaturally, open their eyes, please, and let them see that. I pray that when, when they do and they see their guilt and they see their sin, they don't stay there. They don't get comfortable. I pray they wouldn't suppress the truth and unrighteousness, but they would deal with it. When they come to you and then ask you wholeheartedly to save them. I know that your word says that everyone who comes to you will be saved. You promise that. So I pray that that would happen this morning and this afternoon and tonight 
as more students think about this message and think about the truth that maybe they're blind and they ask you, they talk to you for real and they pray to you maybe for the first time. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.